hard to believe we're in December, but we are. The last month of the year, we are officially in the Christmas season and uh, uh, expecting a, a great finish to the year, uh, both in our walk with God and in every other sense of the word. Finish the year strong, amen, amen. and start the new year strong. But uh, uh, today, as we uh, uh, get into the Word, I want to, my, my goal and what I believe my mission from the Lord is today is to encourage you. Somebody might need encouragement, and everybody needs in some way or the other, because, you know, uh, to, to be encouraged means that you, you, you are encouraged. <laughs> and courage is in you. To be discouraged, that's when your courage gets dissed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but today, you're going to be encouraged. Let me share with you the, the words of Psalm chapter 30 and verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping. May endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Hallelujah. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words... This tough time that comes into your life don't last long compared to all the blessing and the goodness that God's got ahead of you. As a matter of fact, uh, that particular rendering of that verse in the Message Bible looks like this. Not a word-for-word translation, but it's sure a whole lot of fun. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. We'll stop reading right there. Is that exciting or what? I mean, when you think about the fact that even at times when it looks on the outside like it's falling apart on you, that on the inside God's making new life and not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. So what we're going to talk about today is this, that when you're facing tough times and tough moments in life, how to go ahead and speak in faith and act in faith, dig your heels in the ground and grit your teeth if you've got to, and declare, this is not how the story is going to end. Someone say that with me. This is not how the story is going to end. And what I want to look at with you this morning, we want to look at the, the examples of, uh, of several people in Scripture who, who got to the point where they had a defining moment, a moment where it looked 
like things were falling apart. A, a, a moment where it looked like that they had received a word from God and a promise from God. And it did not look like there was any chance at all of that thing ever happening. And yet there was that defining moment where they had to say, this is not how the story's going to end. You know, in Second uh, Kings 4, there's a story of a woman, uh, uh, her and her husband, the, the, they were Shunammites. And they had an experience with the prophet Elisha where they would often, uh, when Elisha was coming through, they'd have him come and stay at their house to the point where they built a guest bedroom for the prophet. And anytime he was coming through, he was staying there. And, and, and one day he was led of the Lord said, well, you've been so good to me. You, you can't be good to, to a man of God and not have God want to do something for you. So he said, uh, what, what can I do for you? And, and you know, uh, his, his servant had noticed, you know, they don't have any children. And the prophet spoke and said, by this time next year, you will embrace the son. And the woman said, huh? <laughs> said, oh, do not lie to your servant. Do not lie to your servant. But he didn't lie because one year later, she was rocking her baby boy. And later on, as the, the boy grew up and was actually old enough to go out in the field with his dad, uh, he's out in the field one day and uh, calls out to his dad, says, my head, my head. And so the father had him carried inside and uh, sat on his uh, mother's lap until about noontime. And then the boy died. So this woman says to her husband, I need to go and find the man of God. And he said, well, what are you going to do that for? Where are you going to find him? It's not the Sabbath day. What, what are you going to go look for him today? She said, you don't worry about a thing. It will be well. And so she goes and heads over to uh, uh, Mount Carmel where uh, the prophet was. And the, the prophet sees her coming and sends out his servant and said, hey, th- that's, the, that's the Shunammite lady. Why don't you go and ask her this? Is it well with... Uh, you, is it well with your husband and is it well with the child? And so the servant asks that question and she responds with the words, it is well. And literally the Hebrew word shalom. That's commonly translated as peace, but in this case it's talking about wellness. It is shalom, she said. Now think about this. She's not doing so hot. Her husband's not doing so hot. And her child is dead. But that was her way of declaring, this is not how the story is going to end. And ultimately, the way that got wrapped up was that her son was raised from the dead. You know, I was also thinking about this morning of of uh, Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, came to Jesus and said, Lord, my little daughter is as a, lying on the bed at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her and she will be healed. And so Jesus agreed and said, yeah, I'll come. And, and so uh, Jesus started making his way. And, and of course, on the way to the house, 
There, there, there's a, a you, you've heard of car traffic jams. There's a people traffic jam because everybody is thronging Jesus and wanting to touch him. And in this crowd is one particular woman who we know in scripture as the woman with the issue of blood. And, and, and she reaches out and, and, and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And, and, and Jairus, I mean, they're on their way to his house. And he's, he's looking at his watch and is, says, you know, every moment counts here because my daughter's already uh, lying at the point of death here. And, and, and so Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And then what, what, what happened is uh, that ultimately this lady came forward and the scripture says she told him all the truth. Now my translation of telling all the truth, which means you get into details and you take a long time doing it. <laughs> so Jairus here is even more looking at his watch and saying, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, come on. I say, I wish this woman would hurry this up. Come yeah, we got to go. My little daughter's dying. You can testify later. You, you can s- send your praise report to, to Jesus ministry, uh, send an email, send a letter, but we got to go. And then ultimately she got done testifying. They kept going. And then here's some people coming from Jairus's house and said, sir, your daughter's dead. You don't need to trouble the master any further. And Jesus said, do not be afraid, only believe. In other words, if you do what I'm telling you to do, this will have an impact on how the story ends. And if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, this will also have an impact on how the story ends. But do not fear, only believe. Jesus was saying in the middle of bad news, in the middle of the worst news you could imagine hearing, this is not how the story is going to end. You know, you can't help but think about a a scenario like this and a statement like this without thinking about Abraham, the father of faith. I mean, Abraham, woo! <laughs> I mean, him and, and, and Sarah, you know, the, the fact that God would make a promise to them uh, about not just having a child, but being a father of, of, of many nations. And I mean, uh, th- this, is, th- this is before Geritol, this is before uh, uh, Insurer, this is before... Uh, the little blue pill, this is before lots of things. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, you got two old people and there ain't nothing going on as far as children are concerned. And yet over in the book of Genesis, you see this in uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 4 through 6. The scripture says, uh, uh, this is God talking to Abraham, behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir. That being a reference to his servant, Eliezer. He said, no, Eliezer is not going to be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And after this point, 
eventually what happened is the promise came to pass. The promise came to pass, and out of Abraham and out of Sarah was born the baby Isaac. And oh, what a thrill. God's promised child had arrived. But then the curveball comes. Oh, Lord. Now, come on. Somebody has had some curveballs thrown at them. I can't be the only one in the house. So I think this is something that, that can ring a bell with somebody here. When the curveball comes, the unexpected thing, when it looked like, all right, we got this, this is done, this is settled, praise the Lord, we're just happily moving on, and then something happens. This is what happened with Abraham. Genesis 22, starting with verse 1. It says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The ultimate test of faith, the ultimate test of how much do you really believe in me and my word and my ability to keep covenant. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off and Abraham said to his young men, listen real close here, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we. Oh yeah, come on. We will come back to you. That was the moment where Abraham settled it in his heart. This is not how the story is going to end. That was the moment in time where, according to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 and uh, verse 19, it says that he accounted that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. So he said, something's going to happen here. I don't know exactly what, but something's going to happen because this child can't be dead and gone because God had already said something. And if God's word comes to pass, he's not God. He's not good. His word's no good. Forget about the whole thing. If God is God, this cannot end this way. And truly... We know what happened. The angel, as he was about to plunge a knife into his son, said, Abraham, don't lay your hands on the child. He said, now I know. <laughs> now I know. The test has been passed, and this is how the story's going to end. Rather than Isaac being killed here on this altar, Isaac's going to continue to live. And out of Isaac and his descendants ultimately would come the nation of Israel and the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. How about Joseph? who would have been the great-grandson of Abraham. Now, Joseph 
a little bad blood between him and his brothers because Joseph was very much dad's favorite. And uh, the brothers re- resented him for that. You know, uh, 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 Joseph was the one who got the, the famous coat of many colors. And, uh, and all the other brothers got ugly Christmas sweaters, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you see, Joseph started having some dreams, you see? In, in every one of these instances, you see the point where the promise is made. You see the place where the word of the Lord goes forth. With that Shunammite woman I told you about, it was the prophet's word that she would have a son. Uh, with, with, uh, 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 with Abraham, it was the promise from God that, 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 that out of his own body would come the, the promised seed. And here, it was the word of the Lord that was demonstrated through dreams that Joseph received. First of all, in Genesis 37, verse 7, it said, There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. I mean, when you already have a bad relationship with the brothers. And then you say, guess what, brothers? <laughs> hey, yeah, y'all going to be bowing down to me. And then verse 9 of the same chapter, Genesis 37, 9, it says, Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers. And said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. Boy, I tell you what, you know, so some people think he should have probably held on to that, you know, and then not, not divulge that to the family. Because they got somebody who is already in hot water and even hotter water, you know what I'm saying? And ultimately, his brothers took him, threw him into a pit, and then... Some uh, merchants were going by, pulled him out of the pit, sold him as a slave, and he ends up being purchased by this guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar had a wife, and uh, Potiphar's wife had a thang. You know what a thang is? (laughs) Yeah, she had a thang for Joseph. And Joseph was honoring God, doing things right, walking uprightly, walking in integrity. But one, one day, what happened is that she grabbed his coat. And uh, he ran away. But as far as she was concerned, she thought, well, I got the evidence now. I can't get him to come and hang out with me and, and do other things with me. So... Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and, and just close the deal on this, and I'm going to accuse him of coming in and trying to rape me. And that's exactly what she did. And so now, th- this guy, who just had things start looking up, got out of the, the pit and ended up being over everything in Potiphar's house. He was doing real good there. I mean, you know, uh, he, he actually said to, to his master's wife, he said, you know, but my master has given me access to everything in the house except you. That's literally what he said to her. And so here he is accused of rape and ends up being put into prison. And yet, even though it seemed to be a a distant memory, even though it seemed to be way, way back there somewhere, there was something inside that said, right there in the prison, 
right there being falsely accused, betrayed by his family. This is not how the story is going to end. What ultimately happens? Over in Genesis, the 42nd chapter, we see this, 42 verse 5 of Genesis. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. The dream came to pass. But here's the thing. The, the, the idea and the goal of why God gave the dream was just not about bowing down. The goal behind it and, the, and the, the, the ultimate purpose that God had in mind is God wanted to see the seed of Abraham saved from that awful famine in the land. And that's exactly what happened. And it happened through Joseph. Now, somebody's got to hear me, and I believe God's speaking to you today. I know God's speaking to me. When you take a scenic route, you don't always connect the dots and see the whole picture. And there are times where it looks like on the road to where you're going, that you're going down a road that looks like it could never possibly take you there. But God. And you just got to know and settle it in your heart once and for all that your God knows a whole lot more about what's going on behind the scenes and how to get this done than you do. Woo! As a matter of fact, what about uh, what about the case of Moses? And hold that thought. I'm talking about God, the the, the way God works, and the and, and the the fact that that He'll get you where you need to go, but not necessarily in the fashion that you thought you were going to get there. Oh my. Over in the book of Exodus, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush in chapter 3 and verse 8, right in the beginning of the verse, he said, So I've come down to deliver them, that's being the Israelites, out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey. We'll stop reading there. But you see, that's God's promise. He's going to take them to uh, out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them from that land to a good and large land that's flowing with milk and honey. Then over in the 14th chapter, they're leaving Egypt. And in verse 10, we see this. So, so they leave Egypt and where did they go? They go to a place where they got a sea in front of them. And no boat to cross. Verse 10 says, and when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So imagine this scenario. You know, uh, uh, Moses led them out of Egypt, and, and now they've got a, a big 
Red Sea in front of them. And behind them are, are the guys they just left who are coming back to get them. That's not a real comfy scenario to be in somebody. But I want to go look a little bit further in this chapter, verse 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people in verse 13, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Hallelujah. This was the moment where Moses said, in a moment where it looked bad, real bad, it looked like you got an impossible something in front of you and an impossible something gaining on you from behind. But that was Moses' moment to say, this is not how the story is going to end. Now, it's it's interesting. You look at Joseph, you look at Moses and and him leading the people out. And you say, in both cases, we're going some real interesting routes here. But this is the thing we need to realize about God. And that's why I want to look at this verse here. This is Psalm 77 and verse 19. This is the New Living Translation. You learn something about God here. Your road led through the sea. Your pathway through the mighty waters. A pathway no one knew was there. And can I talk to somebody today who feels like yeah, this don't quite feel like the, the route that would be the most straight line to get from point A to point B. But God knows where the paths are where you couldn't even find a path. See, all those people could see was water in that Red Sea before them. But you see, God knew all he had to do is part the waters. And there was a path right there in the sea, one that he knew about and nobody else did. So can somebody trust God along with me that sometimes in life when things look like they're taking curves and and strange routes that God knows the path that you need to take that that will ultimately get you to where you need to go and the fulfillment of his word in your life and to realize that God doesn't pick the road commonly traveled. And God doesn't even pick the road less traveled. God picks the road nobody ever thought of. Come on, somebody. But the most important thing and the beautiful thing about it all is that God gets you to your destination. The fulfillment of the promise. And truly what he says comes to pass. All you got to do is in those moments where it's tough, you say In those moments when it doesn't look like it's going to happen in a million years, you dig your heels in the ground and you say, it's not going to end any other way except the way God said it's going to end. The story's not going to end this way. The story's going to end the way that God said it's going to end. How about Peter? This is interesting because this is something that you can almost blow right by and not even realize it's there, but very significant. What, what about Peter and, and, and him being able to have a moment 
where he, as so many others would say, this is not how the story is going to end. Let's check this out. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. This is John 21. And this is Jesus speaking to Peter about the future of his life. Jesus is prophesying to him. Speaking prophetically. Speaking of his future. After his resurrection. And uh, listen to what he says. Verse 18, John 21. He said, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, Jesus is speaking to him regarding how he would ultimately die. But. There's a key word in there, four key words. When you are old. Can somebody hold on to those words for a few minutes? Now let's go to Acts chapter 12. Now, Acts chapter 12, the the setting of that is 44 AD, or whatever they call it now. I'll just smile and look at you. But it's 11 years, approximately, after the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is 11 years after that. Acts 12, verse 1, we'll start there. It says, now about that time. Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter therefore was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And ultimately, he was delivered from that prison house. But I want you to see some things here. First of all, James, the brother of John, was already killed with the sword by King Herod. And this brings us to the the place where this is the night before Herod is going to go ahead and bring him out before the people and have him see the same fate as James did. This is the night before. And he's bound with two chains between two soldiers. 
I would not consider that the most comfortable sleeping position. I mean, that wasn't my pillow or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? That 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 wasn't a, a you know a, you, you know your uh, sleep number bed. No, I I mean bound with chains between two soldiers, not very comfortable at all, and sleeping. And the angel of the Lord shows up. This bright light shows up, and the angel has to strike him on the side to wake him up, which means. This is not a light sleep he's in. He's in a pretty deep sleep. Now, how on earth could Peter be sleeping so good on what is supposed to be the night before his execution in the most uncomfortable position you could imagine sleeping? How on earth can he be sleeping so good? Because Jesus said that he was going to be martyred when he's old and he could do some quick math and he knew I'm not old yet. So why could he sleep between two soldiers? Because this is not how the story is going to end. And what happened is you've got a man who had two decades plus more ministry before the time came when he did get martyred. Hallelujah. So you know what? It might be the night before something in your life. Have a good night's sleep. Like the story of a woman who lived in uh, uh, England during World War II. And uh, her neighbor and her were talking and comparing notes the next morning. And her neighbor said, didn't you hear all that stuff that was going on last night? All the, the, the planes flying over and the bombs dropping and all that. And, no, I didn't hear a thing. I was sleeping. Well, how could you sleep through all that? And the woman responded to her and said, well, the Bible says that God does not slumber or sleep. And so I just figured there was no sense in both of us staying awake. Hallelujah. Yeah. I like that. Now think about this. As we've gone through... uh, uh, examples of multiple people in the word here and, uh, and their own experience. The, the last person I want to look at is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Talk about receiving a promise. Talk about receiving a word from God. She received a word that is just absolutely amazing. And part of the, the word, the, the promise that was given to her when the, when the angel Gabriel first appeared and the word spoken about this child that she was going to miraculously conceive. If you look at Luke 1 and 32 and 33, it says this. He will be great, talking about Jesus, and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. And of his kingdom there will be what? No end. So think about these words. Forever. (laughs) No end. Forever. No end. But then along the way, she got a, a word from a man of God, a man named Simeon. And, and, and listen to this. This is Luke chapter 2, in the next chapter. Verse 34 and 35. So she got a promise. And then she gets this word. Then Simeon blessed them. That's 
Joseph and Mary and Jesus, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. And then he says, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So here is Mary on one end having this amazing uh, uh experience with the angel and the angel declaring to her about this child that she's going to conceive that 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 he's going to reign forever and of his kingdom there will be no end and then here's this other man of God that talks to her about a sword that's coming that's going to pierce her own heart one thing you got to realize is that when you get a word from the Lord whether you're just standing on the word about something or whether you receive a very specific prophetic word, not a, not a pathetic word, a real prophetic word, something that's from God and, and not something that's the result of the anchovy somebody ate the night before. But when you get a real word from the Lord, there's something that comes with a word from the Lord. There's a sword that comes with that. Because don't you ever think that the enemy's not going to want to challenge something that God wants to do. Don't you think that he's going to go ahead and lay back and just watch it happen? No, he's going to fight it every chance he gets. Check out this. This is 1 Timothy 1.18. But it illustrates something that we need to know. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you. See, he got some words from the Lord. Well, read the rest of it. That by them, that by them, you may wage the good warfare. Now, I, I got to tell you, the idea of getting a word from the Lord about something is really wonderful and exciting. Uh, the thing that's not so wonderful and exciting is that warfare comes with it. And Mary was certainly no exception. She got a major league word from the Lord about her child that was going to be conceived in her by the Holy Ghost and, and what he was ultimately going to do that he would sit on the throne of his father, David. He would reign forever of his kingdom. There would be no end. But then she got news. There's a sword that comes with this package. So you can get excited about a word from the Lord, but one thing you got to realize is, is this, that when God's getting you into position about something, that, that you're also going to have to deal with some up position. In other words, you can expect opposition during your transition into your new position. Y'all got that? Expect opposition during your transition into your new position. Which means if God's positioning you in a place and taking you to a place that you've not been, expect the enemy to fight you during that time. In other words, expect to fight during your flight to your future so bright. Yeah. I'll drop a few more rhymes on you. Look out. But ultimately, we know what the thought is. It's the realization that with the word comes the sword. With the word comes the sword. But I want to look at how Mary handled this because this is very significant. And if we do this and learn from this, boy, I tell you, we're going to have something we can take and run with in our own lives. Check this out. 
Focus, stay with me, listen very carefully. Luke one thirty eight. When the angel appeared to her and spoke to her all those things that he said, including what we initially read about Jesus is sitting on the throne and reigning forever and so on, the response of Mary is this. Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now that word, word, is the Greek word rhema. Let it be to me according to your rhema. According to your spoken word. That's really what the word, the Greek word rhema means. According to your spoken word. Let it be to me according to your rhema. And it's interesting because this little Greek word rhema keeps on popping up again in several other places in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. Look at verse 38 now. No, actually, no, uh, the second chapter, uh, verse 19. Luke 2, 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now that word, or the, the words together, the combination of these things, that also is the Greek word rhema. You might say, Mary kept all this rhema and pondered them in her heart. So she, so she kept it close to her. She, she stored it inside of her. And she pondered the rhema, the spoken word that was given to her. So she said, first of all, be it unto me according to your rhema. And in this case here, she, it said she kept that rhema and pondered it in her heart. And, and Luke 2, verse 51, right there in the same chapter, once again, it says, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth that being Jesus, and was subject to them, that being Mary and Joseph. But his mother kept all these things, all these rhema in her heart. So you see the significance of that, that that was not just the initial thing that took place when the angel came and spoke. And, and, and uh, she said, be it unto me according to your rhema. But no, at every step along the way, she Kept that rhema close. Keep the word close to you. When you get a word, when you get a promise from God about something, keep that word close to you. That is so significant. Because you see, uh, uh, how, how scriptural is that? Proverbs 4 says, Do not let my word depart from before your eyes. Keep it in the midst of you. You know, uh, the, 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 the idea, it's so easy to let the word slip. Mary did not let the word slip. She kept it. She kept this rhema close to her. Now, what ultimately happened? What about that sword that was supposed to come? What do you think that might have been? With John 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus... His mother. If there was a moment where we can see in Scripture that is the, the moment of a sword piercing through her own heart, that would have to be the moment. The ultimate moment of sadness and the moment where it looks like something that was so bright and so promising came to an end. 
But I believe that the same practice that Mary had back when Jesus was young is a practice that she maintained throughout the course of her life. And what if there, standing before the cross, she were to start pondering that rhema that she received way back in the beginning, thinking about the promise and the word spoken of the angel way back in the beginning. And what if she, at that moment, were to say, all right, I see my son in front of me being crucified, and yet I remember a word from the angel that God spoke to me that said, my son would reign forever on the throne of his father David, and of his kingdom there would not be an end. This looks like an end, but there's a rhema inside of me that says there won't be an end. Well, I preached that better than you got it. (laughs) Can you at a moment where it looks like it's toast and it's all over with, remember the rhema that you got inside of you? The spoken word that you got inside of you. And to be able to hold on to that and say, it looks like it's over. But this is not how the story is going to end. And ultimately we know that Jesus died. And three days later was raised from the dead. And is ascended on high and sits on the right hand of the throne of God. And truly the word spoken. He shall reign forever and ever. We know how that story is going to end. But there's one last thing I want you to see. Talking about the rhema. That the, the spoken word that Mary had that she pondered, that she kept, that she held on to. What if a sword were to come after you? Try to pierce your heart. Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, 16, verse 17. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God. I want you to know today that if the sword's coming after you and you can be sure that it will, I want you to know you've got a sword too. And your weapons are more strong and more powerful than his weapons. See, he's got a sword that he'll try to use on you to try to go ahead and knock you out and try to go ahead and get you to give up and try to get you to think that the word, the promise spoken will never ever come to pass. But I want you to know, you got a sword too. And your sword is the word of God. Now, his sword might wear out and rust out after a while. Your sword will not wear out and rust out. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will never pass away. 
The sword that you've got is the everlasting word of the living God. You're not going to wear out. You're not going to get dull. That sword's always sharp. That sword's always ready to go. Keep your sword handy. Believe in the word of the Lord that he's delivered to you. The promise he's made to you. And know this, that even though the sword comes against you, the sword that you got will trump that sword every time. Somebody shout today. Hallelujah. And in the middle of the darkest moment, and where it looks like ain't nothing happening right, say it with me. This is not how the story is going to end. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we give you praise today. We honor you. We thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. And Lord, that you have brought courage into our hearts today. You've encouraged us to stand strong and to never take no for an answer when God said yes. And we stand on that today.